Hi, this is the official podcast of the WCD. There's a World Congress of Dermatology which will be held next in Singapore in 2023. I am Dr. Etienne Wang from the National Skin Centre of Singapore and I will be a host for this podcast. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Cast, and wherever else you get your podcasts. In this podcast, I speak with dermatologists and skin researchers from all over the world to talk about all things dermatology. And today, my resident co-host Shashin is back with another derm topic for discussion. Hi Shashin, how are you? Hi Dr. Etienne, I'm doing well, how are you? Good. What do you have to discuss with us today? Well, today I thought we'd talk about increasing access to specialized dermatology care. You know, I was just sitting in clinic today and thinking about all the referrals we get, say, from polyclinics or from uh, general practitioners. But there are also these patients that don't quite come in through the system. Uh, What about all those patients who can't walk into our clinics because they come from either underserved populations or don't have enough money? So in particular, I thought it would be interesting to talk about getting this uh, specialized dermatology care to underserved populations. I think dermatology is such a huge specialty, but it does suffer from the image of being aesthetic or for a service for the privileged. What kind of underserved populations do you think exist in Singapore? Well, one particular population that really came to the spotlight during the COVID pandemic, for example, was our migrant workers. Now, even from the time I was a medical officer, I was volunteering with HealthServe, which is an organization that brings health care to these uh, migrant workers. And in those uh, clinics, there were a lot of patients who would come in with a variety of skin conditions, some of which they had been treating by themselves from, say, a cream, using a cream they had bought over the counter or borrowed from a friend. It ranged all the way from things like uh, contact dermatitis. A large number of them were construction workers. So contact dermatitis, irritant dermatitis, uh, even superficial uh, fungal infections. So in Singapore, I think this is a large population of underserved patients. It's our migrant workers here. Mm, Yes, I think across the world also. Um, In America, the uninsured are very deprived and also um, people in rural areas, indigenous populations and also the prisons. Yes, in fact, I was just reading a study that was done in the US, which quoted a figure of 40% of US citizens living in areas that were underserved by dermatologists. Quite a big figure, don't you think? Mm, Yes. Because I was just reading that a lot of um, areas in the US have been using student-run clinics and clinics in affiliation with free clinics to bring dermatology care to um, underserved populations. And telemedicine seems to be one of the hot topics in this area as well. Mm, Yeah, I think this is a huge, huge area and I think it's something that every dermatologist should be aware of. What other ways do you think can be implemented in our system in Singapore? Well, uh, I know that the migrant workers themselves have a very close-knit community. And I think part of it is actually educating these potential patients on when they need to see a doctor for a skin condition. Because a lot of patients I saw in these clinics had brushed off their skin condition as just saying dry skin or a rash. And they only came to us when it became so bad that they were not able to work for example, with fissured contact dermatitis. Um, I think part of it is a educating potential patients for which skin conditions you need to go see a doctor. But another part is um, linking up with, say, um, organizations, for example, like HealthServe or even volunteer health outreach groups to look for certain conditions in underserved populations, actively reach out to them. Mm, Yes, and also, of course, empowering primary care and maybe having healthcare workers educated in dermatology working in the community as well. Absolutely, and especially within our uh, GP community and uh, polyclinics.
Thank you, Shashan. Th thank you for bringing this to our attention. Um, in fact, my next guest will be Dr. Henry Lim, who is actually in charge of the World Skin Summit of the ILDS. Oh, that's wonderful. Waiting to hear from him too. Yes, and they will be discussing things like that access to dermatology and global dermatology healthcare. Perfect. Okay, thank you. Bye. Thank you very much. Bye. And now I'd like to welcome Dr. Henry Lim to the podcast. He was the chair of the Department of Dermatology at Henry Ford for 20 years, and he served as president for both the American Academy of Dermatology as well as the American Dermatological Association. He's currently the vice chairman of the scientific program of the WCD in 2023, and he's on the board of the ILDS. Welcome, Henry, to the podcast. Thank you very much, Ethan, for having me. How, how Are you in Detroit now? Yeah, I'm in Detroit. A bit cold, but ah. otherwise we're fine. Yes, I hear it's very cold there. Yeah. <laughs> I understand you're also organizing the World Skin Summit this year for the ILDS? Uh, that's correct. I've been asked to be the uh, organizer for the World Skin Summit in Lima, Peru, uh, which is going to take place this coming October. Can you tell me more about this meeting? Well, uh, World Skin Summit is uh, the major meeting that ILDS organizes in between the two World Congresses. As you know, the World Congresses every four years, so in between mm -hmm. we do organize the World Skin Summit. This is going to be the third one that ILDS had organized. And the purpose of the World Skin Summit is a forum for leaders of all the members of societies of ILDS to come and exchange ideas, to discuss, and to network. That is the reason it's very important for all of us to be in person because that has been, in the past, a major benefit of, uh, of members, being able to know each other, being able to interact with each other. And in comparison to the WCD, what kind of topics are discussed at the World Skin Summit? Uh, the World Skin Summit is not an educational event. So specifically, we talked about the common issue facing all of us in different parts of the world, such as whether you know, we should continue to provide dermatology care in the appropriate manner, how to do that. Is it by dermatologists? Is it by other providers? And how do we train other providers? What type of interaction we should have with patient organizations, for example? How should we continue to make sure that dermatologists is prominent in medical field. Mm, so very complementary topics. It's a bit like what I discussed with Claire Fuller last season about global dermatology. Uh, that is correct. The Global Dermatology International Foundation Dermatology is an integral part of the World Skin Summit. I also understand that your other interests are vitiligo and phototherapy. Is there anything exciting about these two topics in the literature now? Well, especially for vitiligo, it's an exciting uh, time because there are many uh, treatments currently either uh, in development or had just been recently approved to help patients with vitiligo, specifically the JAK inhibitors, for example. That is an area that is under very significant and intensive research and advances have been made in uh, being able to understand the pathophysiology and also the treatment of vitiligo. So it's truly an exciting field. I've been in dermatology quite some time. I still remember when vitiligo was treated only with uh, PUVA or to, to tell the patient, just try to live with it. But now I think we have many, many more treatment options for these patients. Exciting time for dermatology. How promising are the topical JAK inhibitors in vitiligo? Uh, the studies has been very promising. Uh, unfortunately, it's not a cure yet, but nonetheless, you know, it is a very significant advance and it's a very significant uh, alternative or additional therapy that we could use for these patients. 
You were also an advisor for writing the FDA regulations on sunscreen labeling and consumer use in 2012. Is that something that you still do nowadays? Uh, I still interact in my capacity within the American Academy of Dermatology, interact with the FDA and follow the field uh, closely. Uh, it is uh, an area that is continuing to be evolving in the United States. As you know, FDA is asking for quite a number of additional testing, even for the UV filters that are already available in the United States. So there's significant discussion between industry and FDA how to properly uh, do these testings so that uh, consumer continue to have a good sunscreen in the United States. So it is an area that is quite complicated because there is interaction intersection between science as well as regulations. Yes, and recently there's been a lot of misinformation and myths of sunscreen's components in the media. What do you have to say about that? Well, there, there are probably several topics that, that need to be addressed on that. One is that the safety of UV filters in terms of the health effect. Uh, it, most of the studies should be noted has been quite short-term studies in terms of showing sunscreen having an endocrinologic effect. Uh, it should be noted that sunscreen has been in use since the 1970s. Thus far, there have not been any significant, what I call, signal of negative health effects. So, in fact, FDA stand even now to, is continued to be sunscreens are safe to use. The second uh, aspect is the effect of UV filters, especially oxybenzone, on uh, coral reefs. Again, all the studies has been done primarily to show the negative effect on coral reefs has been done primarily in that in vitro setting, in laboratory settings. In real life, it has been shown that the concentration of the UV filters in seawater near coral reefs actually is significantly lower than what is used in the laboratory setting. In fact, you know, what the, the major cause of coral reef bleaching is probably the warming of the ocean water due to climate change. Yes. Thirdly, mm. uh, I know this is a topic that has been covered in the previous podcast, is the zinc oxide. That study is primarily using uncoated form of zinc oxide. Uh, and it should be noted that for all the sunscreen available, zinc oxide is used as a coated particle. Yes. And because of that, the free radicals that is generated upon exposure of UV of zinc oxide is uh, because of the coating, it does not get into the microenvironment within the skin. So it is perfectly safe the way the zinc oxide is available and used for in sunscreen at this moment. Oh, thank you for clarifying that. What's your opinion on blue light blockers that are quite popular in cosmetic ingredients nowadays? Uh, blue light is an important component of visible light. As we know, currently all the sunscreens are at least the vast majority of sunscreen available in the, in, in the, in the world uh, only cover against uh, UVB and again, shorter wavelength of UVA. So it does not cover against visible light, uh, including blue light. Therefore, currently, the best way to cover uh, against the effect of blue light is using tinted sunscreen. Tinted sunscreen are sunscreen that contain iron oxides, and sometimes it also contains pigmentary titanium dioxide. So because they are tinted, they do protect against the effect of visible light. And the important part on uh, protecting against the effect of visible light, uh, including the effect of blue light, is that because it has been shown, and our group has been very active on this, it has been shown that the visible light would induce fairly intense and persistent pigmentation, especially in dark-skinned individuals. 
and the fact that it's not seen in fair-skinned individual. In fair-skinned individual, visible light would induce some redness, but in dark-skinned individual, it does induce persistent uh, pigment darkening. And uh, this is fairly significant because as we all know, in darker skin individual, melasma, for example, or post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation are very significant presentation, significant disease for this group of patients. And therefore, the, the importance of visible light protection, specifically tinted sunscreen, is quite apparent for this group of patients. Oh yes, yeah, that brings me to the next topic about post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. I see you have quite a number of research papers on this very, very pesky phenomenon. What are the current best treatments for post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation in darker skin? In darker skin, probably, you know, it's a, the one is obvious hydroquinone is still used. Tarnaxamic acid is well also used. And photoprotection, the way that I have just described, is also used. There are now also uh, newer research on the use of antioxidants to try to downregulate the pigment effect of sunlight and the antioxidants could be incorporated into sunscreen as long as biologically active. Nowadays, you know, there are some uh, sunscreen uh, in the market that has biologically active antioxidants. And also there have been some studies uh, taking oral uh, antioxidants that can help to downregulate uh, the pigmentary alterations caused by UV, uh, specifically polypodium leucotomus is the one that have been studied the most. And Henry, I also understand that you were initially from Indonesia? Correct. Do you come by this region very often? Have you ever been to Singapore? I've been to Singapore a few times. Uh, the very first time I went there was when I left Indonesia after high school to go to Canada for college. And that was my very first time going there. And since then, I've been there uh, probably four or five times. Uh, one time, actually, I was a visiting uh, professor there for about a week or so when Prof Go was still the uh, director of the NSC. <laughs> well, yes, and we're very excited to have you at WCD next year in person. Yes, looking forward to that. <laughs> yes. Okay, thank you so much, Henry, for speaking to me today. And I really learned a lot from you today. Thank, thank you very much, Ethan, for having me. Okay, bye. Thank bye. you. Bye. Take care. And that was the official podcast of the WCD. Don't forget to follow us on all our socials on Facebook, Instagram at WCD2023 Singapore, and check out our WCD website, WCD2023Singapore.org for more updates and content on the WCD. And until next time, stay safe and use sunblock.